You can hear me. Yes. Why do you eat people? Not people. Brains. Brains only. Yes. Why? The pain. What about the pain? The pain of being dead. Hurts to be dead. I can feel myself rot. Eating brains. How does that make you feel? It makes the pain go away. Episode 103 of the Cult of Matt Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. Make sure to hit our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. Any show news? Any show news this week? Um, no. Okay. (laughs) Go Hawks! Go Hawks! Yeah. You know, uh, the Seattle Seahawks are uh, the most hated team outside of Seattle. Really? Oh, that's exciting. I think uh, I think it's because the fans are a bunch of annoying douchebags. I'm just positing, I guess. But I pretty sure football fans around the country are always annoying douchebags. Uh, that's true. Yeah i I have a weird. I know football inside and out. I know the rules. I can watch it. Uh, somewhere along, you know it inside and out. Yeah. How oh, the yeah. hell did you learn football inside and out? Oh, when I was uh, like watching football with my dad all those years ago. Yeah, like, I know games, all the rules. I know, you know, uh, the rules have changed slightly, but for the most part, but I'm sort of, uh, I could give a shit now. I could totally care less about football. And I think it's that impotent rage, that emotional tax, that being a huge sports fan levies upon you. That just seems to be such a waste of energy. I don't think I can, I can do it anymore. There's just, it's just too much other shit that I need to pay attention to. And I remember watching the Super Bowl. What was it? Two thousand four when the Seahawks uh, were in it. Oh, was that was that oh four? Boy, I can't. Oh three. Oh five. I don't remember, but uh, it was that b- basically bad referee Super Bowl where more or less you're externalizing the refs- Matthew. Am I? How yeah, if you had listened to Adam Carolla this week, he talked all about externalization and how it's a tool of the week. What is... Oh, fuck. Fuck that guy. You know, I, it, it, please elaborate. I, I need some more No, he thought. was talking about that very thing. He was talking about how it's important oh. to take responsibility for your own successes and failures and not to uh, externalize uh, the fortunes of your life upon others or events. Was he in the context of being a football fan? Well, he talked about as with all things, it either uh, there's a there's a there's a life lesson to be learned whether in junior uh, uh, boys football or uh, uh, construction. Either one of those <laughs> two areas of life apply to any other area of life. That's true. Well, anecdotal. Uh, observation translates to statistical empirical information. I think Adam Carolla has proved that out, and uh, you know uh, I, his 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 word is uh, law. His word is rule. I say so. I don't know where you're going with all this, but if it was an opportunity for me to pick on Adam Carolla, I was trying, and I don't know if I succeeded. <laughs> I've been listening to him less and less. Every time I listen to him, I go, "What would Matthew think about me listening to Adam Carolla right now?" <laughs> I know. I, I don't give a shit what you listen to. Uh, I've been quicker to uh, delete listen- the podcast when he goes down a uh, sort of libertarian uh, yak for too long. It's yeah, it's boring. more often than not. That's what yeah, I found. Yeah, it's getting more and more. He's getting old and getting used to his lifestyle. It's and, just uh, being sort the big, of the big fish. Preachy nonsense about how you two can be a successful podcaster and booze merchant like himself. And I I, I don't really. I, the Kool-Aid or the Mangria, I can't <laughs> quite drink. So uh, I, I got a little worried when he started uh, taking ads from uh, uh, Enzite. 
<laughs> natural male performance enhancer. Oh, yeah. He's been hawking boner pills. Go to smilingbog.com. <laughs> Here on the Matt Mark podcast, you are, when you're are hawking, when you're hawking Doctor Porn Porkenheimer's boner juice, juice. <laughs> you know you've gone down the wrong path. Exactly. Really, he still has like boner pill ads. I thought he, uh, he levied I haven't up heard to... him lately, but he did have them a couple of months ago. I thought he was more legit with the, like the Hulu Plus and the Citrix and all those kind of ads. You know, look, man, uh, money talks, bullshit walks. My original point was I. Uh, got so infuriated at the bad refereeing of the Pittsburgh Seahawks Super Bowl back whenever that that rush of impotent rage swelled in me. And then I realized why I didn't watch football anymore because I hadn't watched the games all season until then. And then I watched it and I was like, you know, you're stomping around your living room, you're throwing a fit, you're, you're doing that super fan rage. And I was I'm just usually like, just beat my wife. <laughs> Be my wife. <laughs> my wife. So I've checked out. I've checked out of the whole game. I, I don't care. I don't really care about football any longer. You know. I'll, well, you I missed a uh, sort of dangerously mediocre game today. I was trying to explain football to Rose, and Rose totally doesn't get football. I mean, doesn't care to get football. And I tried to explain to her that two teams on the same team play football. You have the offensive side and the defensive side, and she couldn't figure that out. She was like, wait a minute, there's two different teams that play on the same side? I'm like, yes. And why do they keep stopping the clock? And then I tried to use the sort of uh, real-time strategy video games versus step-based strategy video games. And football is like a step-based strategy video game where you can stop and make your, you know, make your plans and then go ahead. Turn-based. Turn-based, that's exactly the word I was looking for. Well, I understand the confusion about the clock rules. They're rather Byzantine in football, uh, just as bad in, in basketball. I'm a little confused by Rose be confused about the two teams uh, playing simultaneously on the field to play pretty standard no, 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 pretty no. standard part no, no, no. of uh, field games. Oh, no, no, no. no. I, I, I was, I was uh, confusing her on purpose. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like... She was like, "Why does that? Why does one side leave the field and another side come on when they're on defense?" Unlike, oh, why do they change all the people? Yeah, why do they change all the people? And yeah, like, boy, well, boy, I'll tell you. Considering some the, the amounts of uh, of of uh, what do you call those substitutions is incredible. In well, you substitute out a whole side when somebody punts, and you substitute out multiple people every play on your right. side. And then I had to tell her that there's a third team called Special Teams that shows up on the field for punt return. And then she was like, well, what? And and, and kickoff. And, <laughs> and other kick special off. plays. And the punter only shows up for one play, you know, maybe two or three times a quarter. <laughs> so. uh, if they're lucky. <laughs> I, mean, I would say two or three times a game is not that unusual. I understand people's complaint about not understanding football. When you kind of look on it, look at it, look at it on its face compared to uh, soccer or even baseball. I guess baseball is a little weird, but it still seems to make more sense. Uh, more, I'm thinking about goal-based sports like like soccer, hockey, lacrosse, anything where you're kind of out on a field with a, with a ball. Uh, football doesn't really make any sense with that regard. So We're really strained. We need to get on to the movie this week. Uh, our movie this week is the 1985 uh, schlock horror classic Return of the Living Dead, uh, directed by Dan O'Bannon and written schlock? by Dan O'Bannon. It's schlocky, isn't it? Schlocky? No, it's I not guess. schlocky. Yeah. Campy? Okay. Yeah. All right. A quick plot rundown. Middle-aged family man Frank trains teenaged Freddy for his new job at a medical supply warehouse. In an effort to impress and frighten his young charge, practical joker Frank reveals that the warehouse basement contains a canister full of a mysterious chemical capable of bringing the dead back to life. It seems that the canister fell off the back of an army truck during an accidental outbreak of zombiedom. Frank and Freddy unwittingly inhale the chemical and release it into the warehouse, turning to the operator of a nearby crematorium for help in destroying the suddenly undead specimens that surround them. They unwittingly awaken the residents of a nearby cemetery just as Freddy's pals arrive to party amidst the headstones and wait for their friends' to sh- friends shift to end. Meanwhile, Colonel Glover waits for the call that his missing chemical weapon has been unleashed. So that's it. 
Yeah, it's too bad that it made a, a, an important factual error, which I always find surprising when somebody takes the time to write a three or, or two or one paragraph summary of a film. The the containers weren't containers of the reanimating chemical. That, that's they true. were quarantined reanimated corpses that had been uh, captured by the army uh, after a an, uh, an experimental outbreak of the chemical and reanimation event several years earlier. Of which the film Night of the Living Dead was loosely based. It's sort of that's correct. In that regard, yeah, the yeah. Film so this meta. this yeah this ta- this takes place in a universe parallel to ours where the movie Night of the Living Dead had a release. Yeah. So, like I always start these podcasts, I don't know where we want to go with this. I watched this film. And don't tell me that, you watched it on your cell phone. Don't tell me you watched no, it on your cell phone. I did. Phone. I wa- no, I watched it on my 47 inch uh, LED home theater system, I guess, if you will. So I, I watched it in the full, full, uh, what have you. When did you get a 47 inch <laughs> TV? I thought you had a 40 inch TV. Oh, my Samsung died. I had to go get a 47 what? inch. Yeah. Are you Strangely, kicking me now for not telling you to get the extended warranty over at Flies when you buy yeah, it? Yeah. Mark went with me to buy my 40 inch Samsung. And uh, as the pimply teenage sales people were, tell- were jawboning me into getting the extended warranty, Mark just shook his head and I said, no, thank you. So Mark saved me, I don't know, a good 37 bucks a year on that one. Well, so, you got to remember those usually only last for three years. You probably had that that TV for five or six. I, I had so. it for about six years. Yeah. yeah. So I got a brand new uh, LG 47-inch LED. And yeah, it's, Lucky Gold Star, my favorite company. Is that what they're called, Lucky Gold Star? Yeah, that's the name of that Chinese company. They 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 uh, they shortened it down to LG because it doesn't <laughs> sound as fucking stupid as Lucky Gold Star. Sounds like something like, like that's a Walmart brand. Our no, Lucky that's a, that's a Chinese brand. If I've ever heard one. Failed in translation there. Yeah. So I got the 47-inch. I really like it. It's really energy efficient. Like, my power bills have gone down by half. Are you serious? Yeah. And Well, I've replaced three appliances this year, so that may have something to do with it. But the Ah. TV was one of them. And that fucking Samsung used to heat up that room uh, with my TV in it like crazy. And now I go up and I feel the back of the TV and it's just totally chill. It's, it's not even warm at all. So. Your previous one, I wonder if it was a plasma. I thought it was an LED. I'm surprised. Yeah, it no, it was an LCD, oh, but see. it's, it's the backlighting, which is now LED. That mm. is the energy efficient part of that. Well, you, should, so. you should feel the furnace that comes off the back of my plasma. Oh fuck. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> okay. So where, what were you we talking about? I was going. Well, on I was, I was, I was knocking the summary, and we had oh, to move from that. Uh, me watching the film, I sat there thinking how mar- how much Mark was enjoying this film, and how little I was. <laughs> <laughs> I really did. You know who else didn't enjoy this film very much? Gene. Gene. Yeah, shocking. Yeah, Gene. <laughs> I made her watch it with me, but she did not. She did not have a good time. Well, okay, so this falls into. Uh, it's it's horror comedy, which is a really strange genre of film, and I can only think of a handful of films that I've watched that that are captured by this subgenre. Uh, Evil Dead Two, which we've covered, and I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed Evil Dead Two, uh, Dead Alive, which Mark loved. The Peter Jackson. Oh yeah, I really enjoyed Dead Alive quite a bit. Campy horror. This is sort of it. in between the two. This is sort of an amalgam. This is sort of a middle space between Dead Alive. And uh, um, uh, what was the first one you mentioned? Oh, uh, Evil Dead 2. Evil, Evil Dead, Dead 2. It yeah. sort of meets in the middle. It has some of the menace of Evil Dead 2 uh, and some of the just goofballiness of Dead Alive. I sort, of, I sort of see it as a hybrid of the two. Yeah, it's a bit of a hybrid. I had, obviously, those films to compare. So I knew I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't enjoying it sort of on a genuine level. And so that's fine. And I understand it's sort of a cult hit and uh, kind of set precedent for this type of film. And that's fine. And so I just tried to absorb as much of it as I could and make some comments on it. But I was wondering why Mark sitting there giggling and enjoying this film so much, even though I didn't know you were giggling and enjoying the film, but you did, obviously. So why yeah, I enjoyed it quite why, a bit. Why, what, what hits your funny bone with this stuff that doesn't hit it with me, I guess? This 80s camp comedy horror. 
Oh, I guess I just sort of like that goofy 80s music that goes along with it. I, I enjoyed the uh, the motley crew of sort of punk outcast kids. <laughs> I mean, I, I just thought it was really funny. And uh, that's pretty much it. You know, I loved uh, the naked trash. Yeah, what was Running up with around that? nude all the time. Yeah, that was a really weird one. I, I was watching it and not expecting that at all. And it looked like she was shaved, which is about 20 years ahead of its time. Uh, I guess I read some trivia. I, I, I guess that was sort of a bone of contention, no pun intended, uh, with the production. They had originally had her go on a full pube, like 80s pube going. Mm-hmm. And then somebody said, oh, no, you don't want to do that because then the MPA will shut you down or something like that. And So he said, okay, we'll have her shave it. And then she shaved it. And then there was some other weird issue with with having that kind of nudity mm-hmm. on screen so they made her put like more or less uh, a merkin over N- it not a merkin because a merkin is strictly uh faux hair basically right. they put like a little pasty over vulva so you can exactly see so it's just yeah. sort of flat yeah, and it, yeah. it's just like it's just like somebody putting pasties over their nipples to yeah. meet the letter of the law so basically there were no exposed female genitals just sort of a smooth Barbie doll sort of pubis was presented right. to the viewer. But I thought, man, that was, I'll tell you, Trash had a rockin' bod. I mean, that was an insane mid-80s body. Well, for did you not, did you not Did you not think of that? Oh, no, no, I mean, no, it was no. perfectly I, I, proportioned. It, 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 I mean, it was, it was just a joy to look at her nude body. <laughs> I mean, her buttocks and her breasts. I mean, it'd be nice if she had a big bush, but, you know, you can't have everything in life. Well, you knew that her boobs probably weren't fake in 85, right? No, they were not. And they were perfect. Absolutely perfect. So that's what threw me. I was like, wow. I I know based on when this movie was made that those boobs are full real. And that kind of blew me away. So, uh, you know, and whenever there's like a naked chick bouncing around on the screen, it it just... You pause it. Yeah. (laughs) You get it on Blu-ray. You pause it. You zoom in. I mean, we all do it. So it just kind of threw me. It threw threw me out of my, uh, I don't know, whatever uh, inert movie watching shell a little bit. It's like, whoa, what's going on? What did here? Rose think? She she would watch this shit. Are you kidding me? She was off to bed. Uh, so you know that was fun. You're talking about the things I liked from a fun standpoint. I mm-hmm. like that Motley Grew kids. They are terrible actors, except for maybe uh, uh, Freddie. I thought he was a pretty decent actor, and I think he 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 got the sort of the trouble. He was the stock boy. They yeah, got yeah. exposed to the gas. And um, the other thing is I really enjoyed the the veteran actors they brought in who played uh, Bert and Frank and Ernie. Bert and I thought, Ernie. I thought, I thought <laughs> Ernie, personally, I thought the character of Ernie was fucking awesome. When you first see him, he's embalming a body. He yeah, just has a nice. really great way around him. I thought he was really good. I also liked James Karen who played Frank, the, uh, the sort of manager of uh, – of the medical supply company that was next door to the cemetery showing him the ropes. Yeah. And, uh, and I liked the, the, the owner Bert played by an old standby Western guy, clue Gulager or something along those lines. I thought he had the sort of great libertarian bootstrap sort of get her done <laughs> sort of American archetype. And I thought, I thought those three main male actors really carried this movie together it wouldn't have been nearly as fun if it was the dorky bad acting of the kids all the movie well, yeah. you couldn't sit there and listen to him i mean there were too many lines to that black guy of the group way too many and he was a, he was a bad actor but uh those three guys i think that's what really pulled it together to give the arc of the story really some meaning because it was fun to watch those guys chew up the scenery i just i just really enjoyed their performances i I, I, it wouldn't be the same with, without those meaningful characters in this movie. I, I agree. I liked the I, – I wouldn't call it the subplot because it was basically the plot of them trying to dismantle the zombie uh, that had reanimated in the cold locker yeah. and found themselves up against the, uh, I guess, rules – of traditional zombieism. I mean, that's and their you're failure. right. Right where you're going. I just want to make a quick point. See, this is one of the things where this movie sort of takes the whole, does sort of the meta thing. I hate to use that word, but it sort of takes you outside of 
zombie movies a bit and makes you think. And this is one, this is one of those moments of, of a several in this film. So go ahead. Well, the thing uh, about zombie movies, there wasn't that many of them at the time. There was just a few Romero films. Uh, you know, there was Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, those, those films. I don't know of any others. Uh, but the whole, I guess, subplot, because if you watch The Walking Dead, which I do, which is, uh, I think, one of the highest rated cable television shows of all time or something like that. Some look, crazy look, solid numbers. one out of four of those episodes are pretty good. They're pretty good, yeah. And uh, they follow the rules, the zombie rules. And the zombie rule is uh, just take out the head. If you take out the brain, then for whatever reason, the flesh stops. They're magical ghouls that somehow their weak spot is their brain. Correct. So in Return of the Living Dead, it crazily reminded me of a Dungeons and Dragons adventure that I dungeon mastered once. And just to let all the folks know out there, I am, I would say, a good A-minus dungeon master at least I was in my day. So I like to carry that with pride. Now that being a geek and a nerd is cool, I'm just throwing that out there. So mm-hmm. anyway, one of my favorite modules, that's what it, prepackaged adventures were called, is oh, it's fairly old. I think it was like 86, 87. It was a module called Ravenloft, which TSR, I think it's Wizards of the Coast, then fleshed out into an entire game world. Uh, but back in the day it was just a module and it was basically your dracula tale uh, you're just playing through uh, more or less a dungeons and dragons version of dracula uh the the vampire the dracul character which was called strad strad the vampire had an army of zombies that occupied his castle and they were called the strad zombies and they weren't like the zombies in the monster manuals of dungeons and dragons i'm really nerding out i'm sorry if i'm no go people. for it yeah no this is important history about mythical ghouls and uh one thing i remember is the strad zombies they were they were very specific and they were defined in the module but the thing about them was is that you would hack off limbs uh, and the limbs would come after you and it totally took me back to that module. I was like, oh, yeah, that was such a pain in the ass. Because in Dungeons & Dragons, as Mark and I well know, because we used to play role-playing games quite a bit, that you can get really ca- get caught up in combat, and it becomes sort of a mathematical orchestration at a certain point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's why they lend themselves so well to you know, at least the old-school hardcore video D&D games, which I played a bit. Well, you and I played Cyberpunk 2020, which we're kind of bumping up against, too. Uh, yeah, against no, I now. never played the pen and paper uh, D&D myself. But you played Cyberpunk 2020 with me. Yeah. And I remember us having to track, like, each bullet that was that we were shooting. Into my the legs of my character. Yeah, <laughs> Mark, Mark's characters always lost I'm their always legs. always my legs blown out for some reason. <laughs> well, they were, like, huge targets, and that was the way the rules worked, and Mark just happened to lose his legs every time. Uh, but... You would spend, I think, like maybe two hours uh, fleshing out 30 seconds of game time. It, mm-hmm. it had these horribly cumbersome rules. So the Strad Zombies of Dungeons & Dragons had, you like knock off a hand, and then the hand would crawl after you, and it would be like its own monster. And so it would take for fucking ever to kill a zombie. In That's got to be a trains. nightmare for the for the dungeon master. Oh yeah, no, I had to like build these basically character sheets for Hands. legs and heads and stuff <laughs> that were falling yeah, off. You would be want to be sure not to send more than a half dozen of these ghouls after your party. Yeah, I would I would get to a room where it said uh, five strad zombies lay in wait, and I'm like, let's cut that down to three. <laughs> I'm gonna be here all fucking night. So uh, this. In Return of the Living Dead, we're more or less faced with the Strad zombie scenario where you knock off a limb and the fucking thing starts crawling after you. With uh, zombie feeding needs mixed in with it. Yeah. But that's not really the point you're getting at at first. Your point is you're getting at that all the characters in this film had seen Night of the Living Dead, as you alluded to. They discussed it when uh, when, uh, Frank and and Freddy were talking about these sealed containers in the basement right so Um, when the the, yeah go ahead when the gas makes its 
makes its presence known there in the uh, medical warehouse and reanimates one of the corpses in the freezer, uh, they go ahead and they go, okay, we got these zombie rules, right? Let's go ahead and enact the zombie rules. You hold it down, and I'm going to stick a pickaxe through its brain, right? Because then mm-hmm. it'll it'll cease being based on the Night of the Living Dead film. Yeah. Uh, and then they, much to their horror, find that that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's funny. It is kind of funny. Actually. I mean, that's funny and inventive. I mean, that's O'Bannon. Uh, I mean, we haven't mentioned that this is part of my O'Bannon O'Thon. <laughs> that's right, Mark's O'Bannon. And so O'Bannon wrote and directed did this film and uh i think that's just really inventive he sort of takes the zombie idea and then throws you a little curveball i don't know i i found that i think i find that really pleasing well yeah it's uh akin to having like a vampire movie where you start pulling out the crucifixes and mirrors and holy water and daylight and not inviting them in but they come in anyway sort of camp which is you know defies convention uh it's unorthodox and it makes for humorous horror because the characters are aware of the convention just as you are i thought i thought that that was pretty funny especially when they bring over over the sacks they dismember this body and take it over the sacks filled with rabid uh what were they oh weasels yeah weasels I guess in the the movie they just took those clapper monkeys, you know those monkeys that had the little symbols. Oh, they removed the symbols and then put them in little bags and then activated them for that scene, which worked. It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, then they have to bring them over there in plastic sacks. <laughs> really uh, destroy them via cremation, which I guess works. Did it work? Although it sent the fumes up into the uh, clouds and then it amazingly, no other person in the entire film no person in the entire film realized that burning the zombies just released the activating agent from the zombified reanimated uh, flesh it didn't actually it destroyed that flesh that was reanimated but it didn't destroy the agent that caused the animation and just released it back into the atmosphere to work again yeah it was no, a- no, no character in this entire film came to that realization not even colonel sanders or whatever his name <laughs> colonel was sanders. colonel glover yeah. yeah, he yeah. didn't even he didn't even realize this. So, you know, that, that's not the only inventive thing in this film that, that that I enjoyed. The other thing is the idea of the mindless zombie. And this movie goes on and on uh, giving examples of these these zombies acting intelligently, basically almost like a, an incredibly tired and sort of mad human would behave. I mean, one of the big jokes in this movie is when. Uh, there's a, there's one there's a scene which of course you remember when uh, medics are coming to the uh, they call the medics right. and they come they come to the uh, come to the mortuary when things start to devolve and there's a zombie sitting next to the first ambulance and he's eating the brains like out of a bowl of the the previous medic's head and he hears the radio in the first ambulance go uh, do you need you know backup and the zombie gets up walks into the car into the ambulance and goes. Hello, please send right. more medics. And they send more medics and they eat them. Yeah, and then they repeat the joke again with the police officers where another different zombie asks <coughs> over the radio for them to send more cops, which I, well, think is just, I think that's really funny. Well, that's the thing that we've since left in the rearview mirror of zombie myth. Zombies actually, original Romero zombies, were capable of a little bit of cognitive thinking. Uh, Very like, little, at least in Night of the Living Dead. Well, Night of the Living Dead, uh, the first zombie you see out in the graveyard is attempting to like open the door, has a little bit of uh, residual, vestigial kind of rationale for its mm-hmm. actions, where now uh, zombies are animalistic. Zombies don't have any kind of basic reasoning power, at least in The Walking Dead, if you want to take that as sort yeah, of the you know, it's, it's really too bad it's funny that I, I guess i never realized that you watched certainly you watched the first season of the walking dead 
but there must now seeing it, there must be a homage to the zombie we hear, the female zombie we hear in the opening of the podcast. No, today. there's not, unfortunately. In the 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 first the two hour uh, season opener or series opener of The Walking Dead, where there's a uh, torso and head and arms of a, a zombified woman that's dragging herself across the grass. Do you remember well, that? Oh no, I remember that. But that that, that that was looked very similar to the head and torso of of the zombified woman in in this movie even though you know what it's a zombie it's a rotting corpse what do you expect but there was a little bit of when i don't forget his name dale or whatever the main character rick rick looked into the eyes of that zombie there almost seemed to be a sadness in those eyes and it's they sort of haven't worked with that in in the show at all the zombies are just stupid yeah, they're stupid animals. It's too bad. I thought they were going for more that there'd be some humanity left in the zombies, and they sort of left that behind in the dust. But I, th- I believe that was a little bit of a call out to this movie. All right, I didn't see. I, I don't think that was an Easter egg, but uh, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, those guys who do that makeup have seen it. Every single fucking one of those special effects guys and makeup artists have seen this movie more than once. Well, the Return of the Living Dead zombies aren't what I would consider prototypical they're uh, they're really they're more like peter jackson sort of animated corpses more like skulls that are walking around yeah there can be very little flesh and it can still be animated yeah i always think of just sort of zombies as uh if you just take a corpse and let it sit around for about three or four weeks that's kind of my impression of what a zombie uh, traditionally looks like in film but this one plays a little bit loose with that, especially the first zombie you see that sort of melts away, a la... Oh, oh uh, you mean the tar zombie. Well, that was yeah. one of the zombies that was... That was the zombie that was in the one container that opened up. Yeah, it sort of reminded me of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, a la Raiders of the Lost Ark. They're the Nazi guy melting. Well, they the used the same technique at the beginning when, the, when that zombie, he sort of has a mummified look to him. And then when he's first exposed to air, he sort of melts... The top of all the flesh melts off of the of the the upper face and the skull, and they use yeah. that they use that heat melting uh, wax effect. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, which was fun, I, I thought. You get all different sort of looks here of the zombies, and you get bits and pieces of the zombies, and uh, they're a little fast. You know, they're not the slow lumbering kind you saw in Night of the Living Dead. And uh, and they also go a different route because it's a it's a, a chemical agent. With the transformation of uh, Frank and Freddy in being becoming zombified from a perfectly living state, which I thought was that was kind of nice as well. Yeah, yeah. That was, especially that was when they, they come to the realization. Frank realizes it and somehow finds the will to commit suicide. The only way he reasonably could be expected to, and Freddy succumbs to the 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 pain and the desire. I loved how painful it was. That it was the rigor mortis itself that caused this intense pain. As you what? might expect, it would cause if you still had nerve endings that worked. I don't know. I don't understand. Muscles were going into is. rigor. It's mm-hmm. a temporary condition of a corpse. But what is it actually? What is what is rigor mortis? Well, uh, it has to do with uh, muscle fibers. There's basically uh, your muscles are a pretty simple little motor. There's two uh, long chains that uh, lie in parallel to each other within within each muscle fiber, and in between those uh, chains, there's a little a little ratcheting motor that's attached to one of the chains. And what it does is it, it releases its head from the other chain and flings itself. It rotates itself up a few molecules and reattaches. And then it pulls itself back and then releases itself and ratchets it forward and reattaches to the other strand and pulls that strand back. That's basically how muscles work. It's this little wow. ratcheting motor, okay. thousands and millions of them on tons and tons of these strands and they basically whenever you flex a muscle all these motors go ratcheting up and then they release and slide back okay and the the releasing action actually requires energy just like the ratcheting action does and so as your muscle after cell as uh, your cells begin to die and your blood no longer flows um, the energy that's used the chemical that's produced within the cells that actually those um, those uh, those motors uh, rely on to function um, uh, is no longer present and they get locked in position basically all the okay. little ratchets and so basically there's a there's a period where uh, the muscle fibers are in good enough condition where the ratchets are stuck and then after uh, 
a few dozen hours after that, the muscle fibers themselves start to break down, and the and the ratchets release, and in the in the the body becomes uh, so movable again. Could it be like a chemical cramping? I mean, is that kind yeah, of yeah? It idea? would it would it would feel it would feel like cramping. It would be horrendous and over uh, your entire body. Uh, well, it's a good thing you're dead when you're <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I thought I thought that was really fascinating, especially when they realize that they're dead. I mean. I just like how they're conscious. It's just it's just such an interesting idea where you I mean you see in zombie movies people become zombified, but they always just get sick and die and then come back. Well, there's they have these about, characters they have about a like in The Walking Dead, they have about a five to ten second or maybe a five minute uh, peaceful dead period, and then they're back up attacking you. So they kind of give you the faint, but here. You just your your, nice... your living consciousness and your zombification overlap for a period of time. Yeah, and I don't. It just gives a really neat chance for introspection, which I thought was really inventive. I know we're talking about this movie being schlocky, and they have a lot of fun, and a lot of the corpses are sort of cartoony, especially Tar Man. Yeah, tar but Man. there's also this sort of interesting sort of intellectual quandaries that take place in this movie. That's sort of makes it a little bit of a thinking man zombie movie, even though it's having fun the whole time. There's a film that I think I had proposed us watching a long time ago called. Oh, I'm going to get it wrong. Uh, Dead and Buried. Uh, I remember it creeping me out when I was younger watching it. I don't remember too much about it. But it has that kind of element. It has that uh, character who is investigating some sort of atrocity in this town and soon realizes that he is actually dead or something like that, you know, that that he is he is passed on but is still sort of an animated corpse-like being. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's sort of vampiric. You see it in vampire tales where people are converted into vampires and Well, yeah, but you never get it from sort of the first-person perspective. Sort I thought it was the... I thought it was really well done in this movie. I thought it was really interesting. <laughs> like, and I guess that pulse? I was I was I was laughing and then I was also going, "Hmm, I see. <laughs> That's very interesting." And I guess it sort of tickled me on those two spots at the same time which i found very enjoyable well it's sort of no. the fart joke it's sort of like somebody letting a big fart rip while they're making some sort of urbane uh, political satire right right yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it's uh maybe in the future with all our gadgets and gizmos and wonderful magic that is science we'll find some sort of middle ground where uh we can go ahead and pass on but still hang out for a little bit of time, and uh, you know, I think the All Republicans. The dark star. You know, the Republicans are trying to do that. You know, I mean, God bless them. Well, they worked <laughs> as hard as they could with Ariel Sharon, but I guess it didn't quite pan that out. That fucker finally kicked it. Man, he'd been in a coma for like nine years or something insane like that. Right? Uh, yeah, I believe it was nine years. It was. Yeah, insane. there was some crazy uh, artist who I forget who it who it who it was, but was really into doing like real life. Uh, modeling of human beings. I've seen some stuff like that. I was down in Palm Springs. They have a great art museum there. And they had these people sitting around the art museum. And you'd walk by them, and then it would take you a second, and you'd realize that they were actually just uh, like statues or mannequins or super hyper-realistic and, and he also played, this artist played around with size too, right? Yeah, yeah. No, they had like a giant, he had like a giant baby or something there too. Yeah, yeah. I think I know who you're talking about, though I can't recall the name right now. Pretty, it, Some of it's pretty impressive stuff. I believe he did one of Ariel Sharon really? in a coma. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> well, because, you know, when you're in a coma for eight or nine years, you're basically exactly a living version of an art piece like that, right? You're just You're just sitting there. Well, you're an empty uh, vessel. You're yeah. what uh, some people would call a living cadaver. Exactly. And then I don't know what happens after eight or nine years of complete coma where your body just says, ah, fuck it, and then turns turns out the lights on you. you know? Well, the body's also aging at the same time. It wasn't like he was a young man. That's true. He was getting the best medical care, I'm sure, available. Yeah, they probably had him as some sort of floating stasis chamber at some point to keep the bed sores off of him or who who knows what you know i'm sure i sure it was rather expensive these, these sort of long-term uh, care uh issues can be very expensive especially if you have the money to actually uh, get good care right 
Yeah, so I was watching the news about, uh, you know, sort of a retrospective, and all I could think of was good fucking riddance later. <laughs> so <laughs> the guy's a miserable piece of shit. Well, I mean, he was a war criminal, I <laughs> He guess. was a war criminal, a so, horrendous war criminal. I mean, uh, well, I mean, I guess everybody gets at the end whether they deserve it or not. I guess we can take some solace when a bastard that deserves it gets it in the end. Uh, I guess, but it doesn't sort really of pretty, seem like it's just pretty weak desserts, sauce. You know? sauce. Yeah, <laughs> Considering every good person will die as well. Yeah. So, uh, what was it talking about? Oh, uh, I guess. Uh, oh, the Republicans keeping. Yeah, I'm not sure alive. where you were going with the Republican thing. Oh, I don't know. I'm just thinking of like if they could keep dead people living, then they would. Uh, you know, like they're keeping some woman alive. To oh, you bear mean the child. whole shri- Shrivo or Shribo? What was the name of that oh, Vegeta- persistent vegetative woman? There was a big fight whether or not she would be allowed to be taken off tube feeding. And yeah, she was death. she was brain dead. Yes, and you had all the loony Republicans making sort of like, well, I, her eyes seem to flicker. I think she's, you know, she seems to be alive, and which is just sort of these vestigial Oh, that's reactions. right. There was a member of the Senate who was a physician and watched yeah, the video. Yeah, what was his said, name? He's from Tennessee. Yeah, I forget he, uh, his name. He said he did not agree with their assessment that she was in a persistent vegetative. That's right. He, and be quite honest with you, on a rare occasion, it's been shown that people that have been diagnosed in persistent vegetative states actually are not in persistent vegetative states. It's been shown on a few occasions, right? Where so, people have been treated like a person in, in vegetative state, but then uh, either they've come out of it, or through uh, uh, functional MRI studies, they've been able to communicate with them. By, um, I'm sure you've read this. It made yeah, the popular yeah. media a few times. Where you would imagine playing tennis or not imagine playing tennis, and that would be used as a yes or no, and oh. you were able to query these people that by all other tests look to be in a persistent vegetative state, but in fact, they're trapped in their body and they, all they can do is hear and unfocusing, unfocusingly see, and they just live in their mind. Doesn't that sound nice? Uh, not really. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds pretty horrible. Would you, would you like to be starved to death and have your food really, removed no, in that case? No. Maybe you would. I don't know what I want. I, I, I just, uh, I'd want whatever's easiest, but it's hard to communicate what's easiest when you're, completely unable to communicate uh yes yeah what do they call that locked in i think so yeah Yeah. something horrible like that Uh, what were we talking about oh bert and ernie you were trying to make some sort of pity comment about uh just uh, digging on republicans Republicans. (laughs) just fucking love that shit i'm sorry listeners if you have if you slant right i apologize but uh you probably haven't listened to 103 episodes by now without tolerating me to some degree Anyway, Frank and Freddie, yeah, they convert to the dead without realizing it. Uh, oh, they no, with realizing it. Oh, with realizing it. And They're given knowledge of it near the near the completion of the transformation. And Frank crawls into the cre- cremation chamber. <laughs> Noble of him is able to uh, kind of put it on a dead man trigger and then go in there and fry himself. But Freddie takes a different route. Mm-hmm. He uh, just tries to persuade his manic ex-girlfriend to let him up through the attic or wherever they've sequestered themselves in the house while the zombies attack it. And he's not very convincing. Well, uh, if it wasn't for Ernie, I think that uh, Tina might offer herself up. Tina. Was she the naked one? No, no. Tina was Freddie's girlfriend. Oh, She was the one up in the attic with Ernie while they were being menaced by the reanimated Freddie who was uh, fully able to communicate his desire four brains so okay i thought that was was really fascinating too i mean it was very menacing and nothing ends well for them their their conditions never really resolved until the final scene of the film oh with the uh atomic howitzer i mean what a great (laughs) first of all what you know there is no no. such thing as a no yes there is not yes there's an atomic weapon that could be launched yep from a from a howitzer yes sir I they never knew they created such a thing. Back in I was the I was watching that and I go, "Are you serious? This has got to be bullshit." There's no there's no way that an atomic device could survive being shot out of a cannon. There's a fucking awesome documentary. I think it might still be on Netflix called like the Atomic Bomb Movie. William Shatner narrates it. It's brilliant, and he goes through the entire uh, testing history 
of atomic weapons from Trinity all the way to, I think it was Triton, which was some crazy fucking like high atmosphere detonation of a nuclear bomb that they traced fallout like around the world. And they finally said, okay, this is, we really got to mellow out or we're going to fuck some shit up. And that's when the nuclear test ban treaty went into effect and everybody signed on to it. Yeah. So you're watching it and just shit gets more fucking crazy with every test. It's amazing. Some of these tests, it totally uh, made me pine romantically uh, for uh, an existence where I'm some 50s, 60s atomic scientist out in the Marshall Islands blowing up shit left and right. It just looked like fun. You know, there's these Army finds up. last place on Earth un- untouched yeah. by war, blows it to hell. It's just looked to- like these guys are out there like fucking barbecuing and then they got to go do a nuclear test. I mean, it just looked fucking awesome. You know, just without a care in the world, just blowing fucking island after island up into smithereens. And anyway, uh, part of this documentary, they were looking at conventional uses of nuclear weapons, uh, using them strategically on the battlefield. And so in Nevada, for one of these tests, they had one of these gigantic howitzers or or. Uh, artillery pieces that they put a nuclear warhead on and fired and you saw the footage of it it flew like 20 miles and gigantic mushroom cloud came up off the desert and then they sent in the troops that was the other thing they sent in the troops to, you know they crawled out of their foxhole and started wa- walking towards the detonation zone well somebody's got to go eat all those live pigs they left in the detonation zone yeah, they did some fucked up shit back then. It's crazy. So that's from history. You can't. You, they did actually put oh. a nuclear warhead into a shell. Boy, and that would be it. a fun little engineering problem. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I don't. I don't want to speculate on exactly how it would be done. No, but, let's uh, speculate. How I got this howitzer out back, and it's not doing anything. I'd like to blow some shit up with atomic. I got all this yellow cake <laughs> sitting around doing nothing. You need a lot more than yellow cake, I'm afraid. I don't know what yellow cake is. Is it like just uranium ore or something? Yeah, it's a uranium ore. You got to mm-hmm. do a lot to it to get anything. Oh, and you need some gas it. centrifuges, I'm pretty sure, though. I'm not sure exactly how you make yeah. those. So, yeah, that's how the zombie problem is eradicated, which is a pretty good solution, in my opinion. You take out a town of 4,000, but whatever. You know, so huh. I, I and I thought that was I thought that was total bullshit. That's yeah, amazing. Not bullshit That's at all. Real thing. Uh, yeah, Dan O'Bannon did his research on that one. Yeah, well, I'm impressed. I'm even more impressed by this film, and I was already impressed by it. <laughs> I was not. I was going through the motions on it, but I I, I try to vicariously enjoy the film through Mark's eyes. But you see what uh, you see struggling. the points I'm making. Right? I no, I do. I, you I, just the whole package doesn't work for you. Well, th- the thing about Dan O'Bannon if we go back to dark star is he has these ideas that when he's kind of in charge of the show or he has his hand in it uh, are pretty cheesy uh, as far as filmmaking goes, like when he's collaborating with Carpenter, but his ideas <clears throat> are pretty seminal, especially uh, the beach ball alien in dark star, which then became the xenomorph that we all know and love from all the alien films. Cause he wrote, or helped write the first Alien movie. So he has these ideas that just kind of maybe get a little bit of short shrift in in these sort of campier films, these lower budget films that, that well, he's the thing on. is, I don't. He's not a great director. His skill is in writing and ideas. And the the truth is, he hasn't really directed much. And I don't know even on my Dan O'Bannon. Dan O'Bannon O'Thon, which doesn't have a apparent sunset at the moment. Um, he, I don't know if we'll even visit another film he directed. It'll mostly just be uh, visiting his writing work. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. it's not, yeah, directing's not a skill. It's not real polished. You could have brought a more deft hand in, probably not for the budget this film had to be done with. But uh, I thought the I thought the ideas sort of outshine some maybe some of the production the lacking fine finish on the production lots of great ideas maybe not that final quote of of, of uh gloss that really would have made it a standout so film. am i missing why this is a cult favorite i, I think, think I no i don't think you're mi- you're not missing anything the reason it's a cult favorite is because even though it has flaws it's a diamond in the rough 
It's got tons of great fun and interesting ideas in it. And while the population at the large at large may not enjoy it because of its flaws, if maybe taking a larger understanding of filmmaking, uh, people that are more into film, people that are in the industry themselves can see the real gems that are contained in this film and enjoy it for that. Well, I think the problem I was running into in The Return of the Living Dead is probably one of the problems I was, I've was i run into watching older films. And it's sort of the the fact that I don't try to pull the callus off of my desensitization of where things come from in movies. I am sort of tempered to the new. And when you're watching something like this and it's sort of out of the box because there wasn't a lot of movies like this being made that especially have a comedy element that sort of catch you off guard, uh, sort of meta in, in that, in that regard. Certainly. Yeah. I, I think for me, I just like, I've seen it before and it's not its fault. I think if, if I hadn't mm. seen a film like this and, I comedy horror and I showed up at the theater and this was sort of my first taste of it uh, in 85, you know, disregarding 20 plus years of, of, of film after that. I think I would enjoy the shit out of this film, especially if I was younger. Uh, so I don't. Look, it's, just, it's just like it's like with pornography. After you see Bailey J reaming some chick out with her dick. <laughs> Regular porn is just not the same any longer. <laughs> I don't think I've right? seen that. Can you forward me the link? <laughs> Bailey, oh, just internet search it, man. She's like a hot transvestite. Oh, God. <laughs> totally hot. Well, <clears throat> Mark did enjoy the crying game a little bit more than me. Mm-hmm. He has, you have much more empathy towards the transgendered than I yeah, do. Yeah, I think so. so. I mean, yeah, to yeah, a certain yeah. extent. Anyway, so uh, I, I, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Anyway, so but you still can go back and enjoy the, uh, I guess the the original source material more than me. Maybe I'm guessing uh, what know. movie? What so what movie ruined comedy horror for you? No, it didn't I ruin. I'm, I'm not quite. I'm not quite. I understand what you're saying that uh, you've just seen you've seen people who have taken this work and and more skillfully taken jags on it and presented it as a better overall film. And so you come back to this and you see these ideas, and even though it was the source of the ideas, it's not done as as well as it's uh, the scions of this work. Well, so what, what movies are there? I mean, the I mean, if you're talking about zombies, there's Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. You know? uh, there's the, that kind of fair, where I think there's other films of this zombie comedy genre that I'm not fully aware of, but uh, it's definitely circulated into my uh, consciousness uh, that there's a great deal of zombie horror out there or zombie comedy. And when I watched this, it's, it's, I knew this was one of the first, but it just didn't, it, I have to kind of enjoy something in the moment as opposed to context, you know, and uh, it didn't satisfy me in that regard, you know. It's like reading Tolstoy. <clears throat> I'd rather read something more pulpy and current than Tolstoy. Uh, but if I had so, to read Tolstoy, I guess here. I could try so to... So Return of the Living Dead is to Shaun of the Dead like Tolstoy is to World War Z. Yeah, more or less. There you go. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, that's a good one. Man. <laughs> War right. and Peace. I think we War got and to Peace. The World War Z. Yeah, there you go. Well, hey, why don't we see what Eber had to say about it? <laughs> Eber reviewed this movie on August 19th of 1985. He gave it three stars, which is the minimum thumbs up review in Ebert's book. And I think generally, before I start reading from this review, I think talking about uh, you saying you sort of a little burnt out on some of the ideas of ghoul movies. I thought if you had magically been transported in your current state without seeing newer movies back to 1985, I think this review maybe would have matched your feelings well that's what i said i don't know if you caught that but that was my well i did i did catch it and i and i disagree with you and i disagree with ebert oh wow mark's Uh, disagreeing all over the place on a certain on a certain on on a certain level even though he does give this a positive review um he says, uh, starting out, that not many movies have the nerve to name their sources right there in the dialogue. Uh, of, 
uh, and he goes on to talk about what we already talked about, where this movie admits that there's a movie called Return of the Living Dead and that there's some, you know, sort of securitous connection with the events of this movie and the the fictional events of that movie. And uh, he says that this is probably as elegant a way to rip off the Night of the Living Dead um, as any. He says, admitting your sources and going on from there. So he, wait, he enjoyed that, and I, and I enjoyed that too. Hold on a second. Is this the first non-Romero zombie film? Uh, I, I really don't know the history of all zombie films. Uh, Ebert mentioned like a, a good 18 years of unbroken Romero before this, which seems kind of odd. Yeah, I think maybe people didn't play with the zombie theme much in the 70s. I really don't know. Um, he goes to say, on to say that this is the directorial debut of Dan O'Bannon, which it is. And it is not a great creative breakthrough, but is a satisfactory ghoul movie. Moving with precision from the funny opening scenes through the obligatory middle passages of pseudoscience and onto the barf bag climax. And <laughs> now, while he goes on to elaborate beyond that simplification, I think he's, he's giving short shrift to the movie here. Um, he says, continuing to belittle the movie, ghouls in all of these movies perform more or less the same function. He goes on to you know, talk about what they do. Uh, including uh, having transforming the living members of the cast into ghouls themselves. And he says, here he finally gives the movie a little bit of credit. He goes, O'Bannon's return handles the third requirement, the converting uh, actors into ghouls, uh, uh, in a way that has a certain charm. And then he goes on to relate the story that we talked about at length about this sort of transformation from living to ghoul of uh, two of the main characters. By the way... Ghoul is a much better word than zombie. If I could go back to my Dungeons and Dragons days and you crack open an old monster manual, which is great, which is a great book even if you aren't into the well, ghoul. Sort of a catch-all. I mean, well, we could ghoul, call these liches, maybe. Uh, yeah, liches. No, those are undead wizards. Sorcerers, right? Yeah, undead yeah. sorcerers. No, a ghoul. I don't know where the original term came from, but it's an undead creature. And undead is a catch-all. It can kind of encompass a whole shit ton of things from vampires to zombies to whatever. Uh, but a ghoul is a creature that specifically feeds off the dead, which zombie, if you go back to sort of Haitian mysticism and voodoo, isn't exactly that. So ghoul, I think, is a better word. I like ghoul better. It's, it's funner to say. It sounds kind of grody. You know In, what I mean? Yeah, zombie sort of sounds like some sort of pharmaceutical Medication. It reminds me of that Cranberry song, Zombie. 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 Now, what was that about, anyways? I don't know. But yeah, I think it must have been about the Troubles. That's everything that they write about in Ireland. I don't, can't blame pop, pop music um, So, anyways, uh, after giving the movie a little bit of a compliment, he goes on to uh, a slap it across the face once again. He says, what's the bottom line of a movie like this? And he goes, says that, well, if you're a young person and like a scary, gross-out movie, you'll enjoy it. And then he goes, to hardened veterans of ghoul movies, however, wow. a sort of connoisseur, connoisseurship develops. And that's all he says. He doesn't go to explain the connoisseurship, which I think is really sort of disappointing. I would have liked to see a paragraph where he talks about that. Like he, uh, he mentions that it exists, but he doesn't elaborate on it at all. I think is a little little dip, so disappointing. So so maybe Return of the Living Dead is is sort of like a pink Zinfandel of the wine connoisseur. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I, I don't, I don't know where you're going there. with that. It doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> Just throwing bullshit wine analogies out. So he liked the movie. I don't know. I'm not sure. It seemed like he. It seemed like a pretty well thought out review which i don't agree with uh i think there's more agree with what don't you i, I just do you don't agree that where he says if you are below a certain age i suppose this movie is scary uh well i mean how how old like five six yeah this would be kind of freaky and he says the ghouls in all of these movies perform more or less the same function which i think is i think is well this movie's not it Dan O'Bannon didn't mean this film to be scary in the least. He wasn't going for that. He didn't. That's what I'm saying. I, I just I think that it seems like Ebert's thought about this, but he hasn't written what he's thought about. I'm not. I'm not sure if he pulled his punches for a general audience. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, I. I mean, I don't know. He, he liked the movie. I mean, it seems like more of a two and a half star review than a three star review. 
Yeah, well, maybe his uh, maybe he had some great inflation back in the day. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it is a little weird. Uh, maybe he, maybe some of these star reviews are added. Maybe he didn't have stars back in the eighties. Maybe he changed that at some point. Well, this got ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is really fucking high, man. Well, I think I, it's because it's a connoisseur movie, even though Eber doesn't go on to explain that. Well, when we say connoisseur, maybe that's where it fits into the cult. Yeah, uh, realm, it's a movie right? for people who like the ideas of yeah, zombie which movies, and I not necessarily thought, don't need it to be real polished. Which I thought would be me, but it just failed me. And well, well you didn't I, like I, Dead Alive. Well, I I think it all waters down to my minute to minute enjoyment of a film, and. If I'm not enjoying the film minute to minute, then I, you know, my time gets precious and I just don't, I don't try to get academic about it. I go, I'm not enjoying this. I watch films to be entertained and this isn't entertaining me in the way that I need to be entertained. And it's not you, it's me. And uh, let's, you know, let's, let's call an end to it. Uh, let's like I'll call an end to this relationship, and so that's kind of what I do. I yeah. hate to say it, you know. Yeah. I I go out on a date for the first half hour with the movie, and if I'm not into it, I go through the motions for the other. Yeah, if hour. I'm not getting a handy, then I just go through that's the motions. Right, that's right. <laughs> so, and it's not to mean that you know it's a bad, it's a bad date, <laughs> or it's a bad person, <laughs> or a movie. It's just um, not seeing it, not feeling it, uh, whatever. Uh, I understand that people do, and you did, and I knew you would. Mm. Uh, but well, I think I enjoyed the goofiness of it more. Well, you really like Goofy. Uh, you, you you are a connoisseur of Goofy, where I am not. I and... like the absurd, you know. I mean, well, there's I a lot too. of comedy that's out these days that's sort of absurdly bad, and I, I enjoy that. Well, like, you love Tim and Eric and all uh, their Tim crap. and Eric is a fucking man. And that's a lot of strong... people can't stand Tim and Eric, and believe me. That's a strong I'll drink. watch a whole Tim and Eric episode, and I'll go, what the fuck? The f- what the shit was that? But I won't be mad about it. I'll just go. Well, it's only 15 not, I, minutes. I, yeah, I don't know. To be fair. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. And this movie is only 90 minutes. And sure, there yeah. were some 15 minutes that maybe wouldn't hit everybody the same way. And I'm not saying this whole movie was, I was laughing like crazy the whole movie. I mean, some of it was sort of dumb, like when the kids were just sitting in their car getting wet, things <laughs> like that. Yeah, right. Well, you know, it can't all be great. And it's not. <laughs> No, no, yeah, it, it, it suffered a lot of, I guess, uh, low budget. Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, they couldn't hire good young actors. Well, yeah, it just suffered sort of the typical low budget film. What what low budget films suffer? They just didn't have the money to yeah, hire really good actors. I thought. Uh, I thought personally, I thought the the three older guys were very good. And that really saved it. If they had been bad as well, it yeah. would there would have been a little too much of the sour in this movie, maybe even for me. I did like the half dog that came to life. I thought we were going to be treated to more quirks of. I thought we were going to be treated to more quirks of zombieism. I was kind of looking mm. forward to that when you got the half dog, you got the butterflies coming to life. I was like, ooh, maybe we're gonna like they open the fridge and a snake goes flying at them, yeah, trying to throttle gonna, them. We're going to be treated with like. Uh, the the violations of the rules of zombiedom, which I thought would be kind of fun. Yeah, uh, I mean, it didn't go full goofball. I, don't think I was, was listening. Point. I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast, and there was somebody hyping. Was he talking about how the octagon is uh, oh, applicable to any other aspect of life? No, uh, uh, the one half hour of his three hour shows where he's not talking about the octagon and before the mescaline kit, hit kicks in. Yeah, right. <laughs> He was he was talking to somebody who was uh, I think a writer and uh, had talked about some zombie novel and I go ooh a new take on a zombie novel or a new take on a zombie story it's like really intrigued you know for for a little bit and it was the whole thing about it's not the people that become zombies but the animals that become zombies and I was like yeah that's kind of an original idea uh, that would be kind of wild and woolly if you had sort of animals becoming zombies as opposed to the human beings and then there's just a way we could protect ourselves from those fat literally thousands of zombified animals right and then i watched this and i was like oh dan o'banner already did zombie animals it's already been done sorry Mm -hmm. oh i have one question for you sure and i'm trying to come up i'm trying this thing where i try to come up with like a trivia question from the movie oh okay new bit i've done it working on new bits i'll just call it the big question and we'll see if this pans out 
Um, well, only one question. What was the name of the reanimating chemical? I haven't a clue. What was it? 245-trioxin. Trioxin. That sounds like some kind of World War One nerve agent or yeah, something. It does, yeah. What is it? That's just what they call it. Oh, that's it's nothing in it. particular, I don't think. Oh, okay. It's like dilithium crystals. Nothing interesting in your question. <laughs> like what the combo on the safe was that he had to open in that one oh, scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. That uh, was sort of interesting. I, would, I wouldn't have been able to handle it. All right. So next week, uh, we're going to go for more serious fare. It's my movie. And we're going to revisit Kubrick, a uh, classic favorite of mine. The... Uh, I don't know. I guess it's social commentary uh, in a way. I never read the novel. Um, I should read the novel. I don't see how it could be anything other than such. Yeah, uh, Clockwork Orange, which is one of my Kubrick favorites. And one of my father's. My dad is a huge Kubrick fan. And hey, can we get your actually, dad in on this? My dad. My dad's he, he, more of, he's more of a Clockwork Orange fan than me, and it sounds crazy because he's like 65. Is, is he in town? I wonder if yeah, he's Skype in. Uh, no, he's live from his dune buggy. He uh, he dressed as as little Alex uh, for Halloween once. I actually have a picture of him in the costume. It's pretty crazy. Maybe we should put it on our. Maybe we should put it on our website. And he has met Malcolm McDowell, and he signed. Malcolm McDowell has personally signed my VHS copy of A Clockwork Orange, which I don't know where it is. I think it's out in the garage somewhere. But really? A, yeah. oh, that's neat. I know, so uh, yeah, it's 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 sort of a family favorite with the Rivets. So, uh, looking forward to reviewing that one next week. Uh, until then, you look like a goddamn blocker.